What does it mean to influence differently? Introducing Techfluential from Deloitte, C-suite conversations with tech-driven leaders. In this episode, host Lou DiLorenzo explores why the role of the CIO is changing and how successful leaders are embracing the opportunity. I'm Nicole Miller, and I'm a fashion designer of women's clothing. You know, people get in ruts by their successes. And so it's like that expression, like, if it's not broken, fix it. So I I think you always have to try to change things and turn things upside down before people get tired of them. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Designer Nicole Miller is an iconic fashion brand. She talks the road from her first boutique on Madison Avenue to becoming a fashion powerhouse and reveals the key to her long-term success in one of the most competitive and fickle industries. So, Nicole, your mom was from Paris, and you said she influenced your style. How so? Oh, my mother was, like, absolutely the chicest person in Paris. She had amazing clothes, and I have all these incredible pictures of her from uh, the mid-40s. And she was, like, very, very chic. And she met my father and moved to the United States. And then she always had uh, French fashion magazines ordered from Paris. So I always would live for these uh, Marie Claire magazines showing up. Usually a month late, though, because they came by boat. (laughs) And I also read your dad's engineering background also helped you prepare for the fashion world. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, I've always been very mathematical, and I've always been a very numbers person. And that's why I think all the technical aspect of design has been, you know, really helpful to me, or I've been very good at that, because I can I can see the patterns flat. I can, I can you know, I can think geometrically, and I can think mathematically. And, you know, when it's a pleading problem, I can figure out the numbers. And so um, that's always been helpful for me to figure out a design, the technical way, and as well as the aesthetic way. So... Um, since I went to art school, I think I have a combination of, of both. You said your design training in Paris was intense. What's your advice for women who have to go through an intense training to reach their goal? Well, I think it's really important because I think a lot of people have no experience. And I, I see that a lot of um, people just think they can be designers and want to be designers. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like, you know, an architect has to get a license, <laughs> but a clothing designer can be anybody from a socialite to an actress. So, I mean, I, I really have more respect for designers who are real designers out there, and I think it really shows in their work. I read that one reason you landed the job as head dressmaker at P.J. Walsh when you were starting out was because you said you wanted everyone to wear your designs. How did you have that confidence to say that? Well, I mean, I actually wouldn't want everybody to be wearing my designs, quite honestly. But, I mean, I still, I always get a thrill when I see people wearing my clothes. Uh, It always makes me really happy if I turn on the TV and I see an actress or a newscaster or, you know, somebody wearing something of mine in a movie. And, you know, a lot of times I don't know. It was, you know, sometimes it's a total surprise. And I was like, how did they get that? But that confidence, it seems like you had confidence at a pretty early age. I don't know if it was confidence or determination. I just always had this kind of dogged determination that that's what I wanted. And where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. It's just always, like, determined. I think, you know, a lot of um, the way I am is having been a middle child. 
And I, I think, I think they, they say like middle, middle children are often um, want to be more successful because somehow they get left out. You know, my brother was the favorite, my sister was the favorite, and I was kind of like lost in the middle. So I was always kind of screaming for attention. Let's talk about math for a second. You had mentioned math before. What do you say to women who want to be famous fashion designers but aren't interested in the business side of things? Well, I, th- I think it's really important to um, know about business because, uh, I mean, you just can't you just can't have your head in the clouds in this kind of a business, and you have to be serious. And, you know, everybody wants to do the most creative, the most innovative, and the most clever thing, but very often that kind of thing doesn't sell. And, and sometimes... You know, you just really have to. You know, I always say, I always make this joke about ruffles because basically I'm not a ruffly kind of girl. But when it's the trend and that's really what's selling and a lot of things that I make have ruffles, you know, and I I know my customer, a lot of my customer does like ruffles. So I have to be open-minded about things like that. And that's sort of a business decision that I have to make. And I mean, and that's not the numbers part of it. But it's a business decision, an aesthetic business decision as opposed to a numbers business decision. But I always have to be aware of like the cost of fabrics and, and you know, the cost of the sewing and the cost of the labor and where it gets made and, of course, the yardage consumption. So I have to be aware of all those kind of things. And I have to be aware of, you know, how the fabrics work and whether they work and whether they're going to, you know, not fall apart. And I mean, there's a, a million things you have to be aware of in this business and, um you know, numbers are a big part of it, too. So you have to be aware of, you know, what's selling, what's not selling, you know, what worked, what didn't work. All the time, there's always one more thing. What do you say to the people, well, you know, if I conform to the trend, whether it's ruffles or something else, that compromises my art? Well, I mean, I always feel a little compromised doing <laughs> ruffle. But I mean, I have worn them on occasion. Um, but I think you just can't be too proud all the time. And you have to sort of maintain your sense of aesthetics. But for me, it's more important because, you know, I love to work in silk. So it's more important for me because I'm happy working in silk than to have to work in a fabric I don't want. So you have to pick your priorities. So me, my priorities would probably be more the quality of the fabric and the type of fabric I work in. And that's where I would draw the line that I'm not going to use like a different kind of fabric. You were mentored in part by a well-known man in the business. What's your advice for women who want to be mentored by men? Well, I don't, I don't know that people like make a choice like that. I think they're just happy to have a mentor, whether it's male or female. I don't think it really matters. But one thing that I've learned, I mean, even though there's more women than men in this business, you know, pretty much there's more men leading the companies, running the companies than women. And I think there's more so now, but I mean, there's tons of women's designers, but I think there's less women CEOs. So maybe women want to be mentored by men because they're more in that position. So if you are getting mentored, what's a way for you to make that work, that relationship work? You have to learn everything you can. I mean, just, uh, I think you have to always be aware and listen and watch, be observant. Your company has gone through ebbs and flows in the late 80s. There were some tough times, some good times too. What did you learn from those ebbs? Oh, well, you know, it's funny because I always like to fix things. And so, uh, you know, one of um, my big stories is when we got stuck with too much inventory fabric. So so we pleaded it. <laughs> uh Anyway, I mean, I, I always like to solve problems. So to me, it's just like another mathematical p- problem if there's, you know, an issue. And, you know, sometimes like, you, you know, when there's, um, I like to switch gears. 
because if things are slowing up, you have to do an about face and do something entirely different. I mean, I was just reading about Starbucks has to change their types of coffee or something. Not for me, though. I'm I'm happy with a plain old. <laughs> I don't need anything fancy. But the thing is, I think you always have to reinvent yourself all the time. And, you know, people get in ruts by their successes. And so it's like that expression, like, if it's not broken, fix it. So I, I think you always have to try to change things and turn things upside down before people get tired of them. Is it more difficult to create that initial success or to maintain existing success. Oh, well, it's clearly easier to, you know, take off. And everybody wants the newest thing. So I see these new brands coming up, like, every day there's a new brand or there's 100 new brands. And it's the latest brand, and everybody's, like, going, oh, they're doing so well, they're doing so well, they're, like, the hottest thing. And then, of course, a year later, nobody's heard of them. So I think it's much harder to stay there. Um, and and people, a lot of people get a ton of press, and then the clothes don't sell. It's really much harder. It's, it's a very hard business to stay on top of because we have to deal thing deal with things like sizes and fit and all kinds of things. And you could make a fabulous dress and then it goes and doesn't fit properly. Whereas you're not dealing with that with like a handbag. Handbag, you never have a fit issue and you don't have to deal with sizes. So clothing is very tricky unless you're in the t-shirt business. But I mean, the, the sizing and women's sizes are so much more difficult than men. How do you let How do you keep on top of the different trends and the different competition, but not let the competition get in your head if it's the newest, buzziest thing? Oh, well, the thing is, I have to be really strong with my assistants because I find that sometimes it gets into their head. And, you know, they'll, like, show me some sketches and I'll kind of go, well, but that looks like so-and-so and and that looks like so-and-so. I'm not going to do that. But I have to be aware of what's going on out there so I can veto it because sometimes they'll slip one past me and then it's just like... I don't want my clothes looking like somebody else's. So um, so I really have to be, I have to give my assistants like, you know, really strong direction to not be influenced by things that are the strong trend out there. I mean, to make, obviously, I can do it my, my own way, but I mean, I don't want anything to look like somebody else's. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Drive time, gym time, anytime. Podcasts from the Wall Street Journal. Check out all our shows at wsj.com slash podcasts. That's wsj.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. What's your secret to staying creative under the amount of stress that you're under? I mean, the world's a big place. There's just always like so many ideas to be had. And you can always go through the archives. And right now, everybody's been begging for my old 80s dresses. So I've been reinventing my old 80s dresses, which I mean, I really wanted to burn at some point. But now they're starting to look good again. How do you figure out how fast and how much to expand the business? Well, I think you I think the pitfall some people fall into is that everything's going well and so then they go to a bank or they go to an investor and say, "Oh, let's 
you know, expand the business and then they, you know, they spend all this money on it and then they don't get it back right away. So I think you have to, it's better to move a little more slowly. You said you need a lot, a lot of resilience in this business. How so? Because there's, there's, um, you know, a lot of disappointments along the way and there's a lot of things that you think are going to be magic and are going to be great and then they're not. And uh, so you just have to be resilient to the ups and downs all the time. You said you never thought your focus was to find a husband and a wedding dress. So what inspired you to design wedding dresses? Well, what happened is everybody loved my gowns so much, they started asking for them in white. So I just started making the gowns I was already making in white. And then we sort of had to design into it, too, and add add a few more. But um, basically, that's my formula is I design the gown in a different color, and then I put it in white. (laughs) And it works because it doesn't... When you're not thinking bridal, it comes out really different. And I think it makes all my dresses look more unique and different from anybody else's because they don't look like the typical bridal dress. You did get married, though. So what role has your husband played in your success? Oh, he's very supportive. And uh, but he's he's also, um, you know, he's he's always challenging me with with things and, uh, you know. You should do that. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's very supportive. You're and he's very, hey, we can be very critical, too. So what do you, how do you Well, it's very that? funny. It's very, really funny because, you know, he's really hated like this off-shoulder style, which has been all over the place. And um, and I don't know where it came from again. I, I originally did off-shoulders in 2000. I mean, the cold shoulder style. But, I mean, I, I, they were back then, but the, somebody brought them back and we all brought them back a few years ago. And my husband just goes, now that's a bad look. That just doesn't look good at anybody. <laughs> so anyway, I wore mine once or twice and I gave up on it. So, <laughs> And if I was wearing it someplace else, I'd put a jacket on before I left the house so he wouldn't see me. Your son just graduated college. What's the most important lesson you hope he learned from you? Oh, well, that you can do anything you want. You want, and you can have your own business and be independent. You said for a while you felt pigeonholed. What advice do you give women who feel like they're being pigeonholed? Well, it is a problem because you do get like, um, you know, typecast as a, I mean, we used to do bridesmaid stresses like 20 years ago. I don't think I've done them in like 20 years. And people go, oh, I love your bridesmaid dresses. And I go, which ones? I haven't done any in 20 years. But I got so typecast for bridesmaid dresses. And um, actually, there was this one editor who actually, she really hated me because she had to wear like some bridesmaid's dress and a color she didn't like or something to some wedding. And she held it against me for years. <laughs> she finally got over it. <laughs> so how do you deal with overcoming those assumptions people have about what you're doing? Well, I think, you know, with things like Instagram and social media, you know, we put out a totally different look. And um, I mean, we put out more our new look of where we are today. And I think people see that, you know, that's not where we are right now. We're in a different place. You're often part of the social scene in New York City and also the Hamptons. Has this helped your business? I think it's really important to be out there because if not they forget about you. So, I mean, I think it's really important for me to go and, and be at events and be seen and wear my clothes out there. And uh, I think, you know, it's not a business where you can be a recluse. I mean, I, I mean, uh, maybe Martin Margiela can, but <laughs> I don't know. It's not good for me to be recluse. Do you enjoy that social aspect? Yeah, no, it's really fun. It's really fun. Yeah, I love going to things. You said that you need to be tough on yourself. What did you mean by that? Huh. I don't remember where that quote came from. But um, I mean, I think you always have to be tough on yourself about, um, you know, staying in shape, you know, staying on top of things, staying in, in touch with like current music. And you just always have to be aware 
So you always have to be, um, you know, on top of everything at all times. So, Do you think some women are too tough on themselves? Well, I think some are and some aren't. <laughs> some are not tough enough on themselves. What's one lesson you have learned from managing mostly a female staff? Well, you know, I just have such a great bunch of girls working for me. And uh, they're, they're just fabulous. And, you know, I just have always have a hard time forgetting they're not just my girlfriends. You know, I mean, they're just, um, they're like so great and so devoted and hardworking and they're a lot of fun. And, you know, I always have to remember that I'm the boss and they're not just my girlfriends, even though I feel like they are. <laughs> you had a collection inspired by female warriors. What prompted that? Oh, well, a Patti Smythe song, and which we played for the finale. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, a lot of things came into into play with that. Um, you know, just it was we wanted to work with like powerful women and strong women. We used a lot of elements that showed that, and then I, I just loved that show. And then at the end, we played that song, and Patty came to the show too, which was great. You said no woman should dress old. How come? Oh, I absolutely. I mean, I I just love this. The, the, I was in Chicago, and this woman, uh, she was like dressed like a teenager, and I'm sure she was in her mid to late 70s. And I said, oh, my God, you look great. And she goes, yeah. And she goes, all my friends go like, oh, my God, you know, why are you dressed like a teenager? And the woman just looked at them and said, because I can. (laughs) But it's funny. I always read this, and I think it's a total misconception about French women. They say, oh, French women don't dress like their daughters, and they always dress like their daughters. French women always dress like their daughters, and you see these women walking around Paris, and, you know, they'll be 50-something in their miniskirt, and they're, like, fur chubby and, like, very chic, and wear their Azadinalaya dress, whatever. And, um, you know, why shouldn't they dress like that? They all look fantastic. And I just don't feel like you should cut your hair at 40, like people used to say. And I don't think that you should, you know, have to dress dowdy. I think you should dress what suits your body. What's one dressing mistake a lot of women make? Oh, um, well, I always say, make sure you look in the rearview mirror before you leave the house. And that goes for your hair as well as your clothing. Because, you know, a lot of times you're just wearing something and you really should put a jacket on it or you haven't combed out the back of your hair. I I see so many women. It's like they comb the side of their head and they didn't comb the back of their hair. (laughs) So that's my my rearview mirror trick is what I always say. But there's one thing that always bugs me is people don't cut out the care label, the labels in their clothes. And they'll have a sheer blouse and you see like this little tag flapping around the side or like their dress or whatever or poking out the back. And I go, it's like, cut those care labels out. (laughs) even have a little scissor sign on them, you know. <laughs> What's the most important personal finance lesson you've learned? Oh, stay on top of everything at all times. <laughs> Is that what you do with your money? Well, you really have to. I mean, it's it's sort of like the, the one month you don't look at your, like, stock market report or something or the you know, you just sort of have to be on top of everybody who's who's working with you and make sure you're always on top of things. How did you learn about investing? I mean, I didn't really. I mean, I just always had different people working on it. You're known as an art investor. What's your advice for women who want to start investing in art? I think what you should do is, first of all, educate yourself. And there's like so much art now. I guess it's a very crowded room. But I think you have to buy something that you really love. And I think that's the most important because if it loses value, at least you'll still love it. So you have to buy something you love. And then you should probably do some research as to, you know, the artist's credibility. What's your favorite piece? Uh, my favorite piece I have? Well, I have a lot of favorite pieces, but I have this um, flower painting by Ross Blackner, which is uh, 
big favorite of mine. I really like that one a lot. And I have like a Damien Loeb piece I really like a lot. And an Eric Fischel. Probably my three favorites. favorites. You do extreme water sports such as kiteboarding. What do these sports teach you? Well, I like things that are a challenge. And um, I had been, you know, water skiing, then I moved to wakeboarding. And so it seemed like kiteboarding was the, was the next step. And uh, that clearly was the biggest challenge. <laughs> but I think that um, if I don't have a challenge, I always get a little bored. So I always like to try something new. So I tried uh, a couple of weeks ago, I tried wake surfing. So that's, that's another challenge for me for this summer. <laughs> what drives you to keep going? Well, I think it's fun. I mean, I just have fun doing all these things. I mean, actually, my life is really fun. I have a great time. I have a great group of friends, and I, I just like to do things all the time. So, um, you know, just, you know, I always just like to be active. I don't like to be bored. What piece of clothing should every woman have in her closet? Well, I suppose probably a cashmere poncho wrap because, I mean, it, it's funny. I have one at the office that I just, with the air conditioning, I use it, like, all year round. And uh, it's one of those things you take on the airplane and you curl up on it and curl up with it. So, I mean, that's a good basic. Other than that, I always tell people, make sure you have all your black basics. You know, your best-fitting black pair of pants, your best-fitting black skirt. Actually, you need one of our black skirts. <laughs> we have this great black-fitting black skirt that um, everybody just swears by. But I, I always say, like, when you travel, make sure you bring all those black basics with you and you can put all your other things with it. What's one piece of clothing every woman should splurge on? Leather, of course. Everybody needs, like, a really cool leather jacket. Time now for your secrets. I'm Nicole Miller, and my money secret is shopping online. Companies like, you know, Farfetch and then List, you can certainly shop, be a more savvy shopper than just walking into a store. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos with special help from J.R. Whalen. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. Chief information officers, long regarded as technical gurus serving the business, are often today's visionaries, evangelists, and change agents for the business. Join Deloitte's Lou DiLorenzo in conversation with tech leaders who've challenged the status quo, redefining the CIO's role by transforming organizations and industries. Where technology and influence converge, new opportunities and value can emerge. 